This episode of All the Books is sponsored by Third Love. Uh, if you've been listening for a while, you know that Third Love makes an amazing 24-7 t-shirt bra. It is super comfortable, the most comfortable one that I've ever owned. We've had a great time making tons of jokes about it, but this thing is no joke. It is super soft. The cups are made of memory foam. They're not padded. It's just very soft, and it molds to your shape to give you the perfect fit. Third Love stands behind the product so much that they're willing to let our All the, Book li All the Books listeners try the bra for free for 30 days. If you love it, you keep it. They'll charge your card. If you don't love it, you send it back. Your card is not charged. No harm done. If you're doing some spring cleaning, you might want to toss out those bras that are, you know, a year or two or four old. They say that your bra is never supposed to see its first birthday, and this is a good time to give yourself a fresh start. So go to thirdlove.com slash books today to start your free 30-day trial with a 24-7 t-shirt bra. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 48, and today we are talking about books released on April 5th, 2016. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Hey, hey. Hi. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I know. I was just thinking that. I was like, 48? We should, I know, have to 52 is not many after that. Yeah, we're going to have to pick something special. Yeah, we'll have to think about it. If you uh, listeners have any ideas of what we should do for our one-year anniversary, let us know. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> what, book, what, what kind of show we should do for our one-year anniversary. I'm still working on the two-headed Snuggie, but we're entering the summer season, so it'll have to wait. Yeah, you're entering the summer season. It's 30 degrees and snowing like crazy here. I'm really sorry. This is the season when I'm so happy to live in the South where it's like 75 and sunny and my Instagram is filled with people who are like, oh my God, it's cold and snowing where I live. I just, I can't, I can't mind where I am right now. Oh, uh, it's so dumb. <laughs> Soon. Or you could just escape and make your, you know, like book cave part two. It, it can have a base in Richmond. I've got room. There you go. That would be cool. That would be fun. We had good stuff this week. I feel like I'm actually back in the saddle and we should be slightly at least less of a disaster than we were last oh, week. Oh, you doomed us. <laughs> I will say that th I think this is the largest new book release day of the year so far. There are so, so far. many books coming out on April 5th. It's crazy. Just like pages and pages in my list. So it was really hard, like trying to pick the ones that I wanted to talk about. But yeah, I think it we did tough. a good job. I think we did a good job, too. I will warn everyone to begin with. My list is super dark. I took a page from your book this time around, and everything that I read is, like, very, well, relatively dark. Most of them are, like, super dark and sort of on a theme. But I'll, oh, let, yeah. you, I'll let you kick us off. Uh, my first book is Kill Him and Leave, Searching for James Brown and the American Soul. It's by James McBride, who is super awesome, and you might know him from The Color of Water or The Good Lord Bird. He's a great writer. Um, this is an examination of race relations in America through a look at one of the most important black musicians in the world. Um, James McBride grew up near James Brown's house. That's a, that's a mouthful to say. Um, in New York, he, for a while, he had a mansion and all the kids would stand outside the mansion that James Brown owned um, and just hope that he would come out and talk to them because they heard rumors that he would come out and give you money and tell you to stay in school, but they never saw him. Um, but he was just always fascinated with James Brown. And, and James Brown was, like, huge, huge musician. Like, you know. Oh, yeah. Just enormous. Enormous. And 
just to give you an idea, in his 45-year career, he sold more than 200 million records. He recorded 321 albums. Dang. 16 of them were hit records. He wrote 832 songs. He made 45 gold records. And he was the first musician to record a live album that became a number one hit. Now, in all that time, he was never even on the cover of Rolling Stone. Like, Bonkers. It's, it's com- he, and he's barely remembered now. And... James McBride kind of examines that. He examines, like, what the differences are between being, like, a famous white musician and being a famous black musician. Um, he talks a lot about what's going on in the, um, James, what James Brown left um, in his will. When he died in 2006, he left $100 million to poor kids in South Carolina and Georgia. Yowza. Yeah. Nine years later, they have not seen a penny of that. There are 47 lawsuits claiming that money. 4,000 oh pages of litigation involving 90 lawyers. Oh, his, my God. Yeah, James Brown's kids were like, wait, what? He's giving all his money away? Like, no. So no one's seen the money. They've still been fighting about it. Meanwhile, like, nobody remembers him. Um, he talks a lot about the biopic that came out last year about him, which I found was so fascinating because apparently, like, so much of it was made up. And you can just do that. And now you have, like, this whole new generation of people who are learning about James Brown. And they're watching this biopic on Netflix, and, in, and it's wrong. lots of it is not true. Um, I mean, he was a very complicated man. He, you know, he had drug issues. Um, you know, he had several marriages. You know, he was arrested. I mean, he had he had a lot of problems. Like, he is flawed. Um, but James McBride kind of talks about, like, how a man who was arrested for domestic violence um, lost the sign, you know, that was dedicated to him on the side of the road. In a country that, you know, flies the Confederate, in a part of the country that flies the Confederate flag still and has places named after racists and, you know, Confederate generals and all this stuff and, like, sort of, like, the hypocrites that, you know, took down this sign, you know, when it's just, like, this mm-hmm. horrible, horrible thing. And it's just, it's so fascinating um, to go back in time, like, through, you know, this look at his career and see, like, where America was and, like, the things that he went through. Um, anyway, I, I can't seem to say words correctly already so you've said so many words correctly and <laughs> it's gonna just stop there yeah and... I didn't know that this book was coming out so already this episode of all the books has served its purpose of informing readers about interesting new books that they might want to read yay good job I like it when we achieve our goals <laughs> what's it called again it's called kill em and leave by James McBride I'm gonna read that it sounds awesome it's so good uh, my first pick this week, man, all of mine are kind of tough to talk about in varying degrees, but this one is really difficult. Uh, it's called I Will Find You by Joanna Connors. I think I teased it last week or the week before um, that I was going to be reading it soon. Uh, when Joanna Connors was 30 years old, she and her husband were living in Cleveland and she was a newspaper reporter. Uh, she was a theater critic and she had been sent to a college campus to interview some people that were putting on a play there. She was running late. She arrived at the theater and it was empty and she was looking around and a man uh, came in and started talking to her and told her that he was working on the lighting for the play and wanted to show her around. Um, Despite the fact that she had a a bad gut feeling about it, she didn't want to appear rude and so she agreed Um, and the man raped her on the stage of the theater. Uh, and she, you know, reported it to the police immediately. She reported it. Um, she told her husband about it. They pursued uh, all of their legal avenues. He was con- he was caught. He was convicted, and he went to prison. Um, and she just 
kind of tamped it down. Um, Decades later, uh, she has a daughter who's getting ready to go to college and she's on a college visit with her. And the tour guide points out, like, here's one of those blue lights that um, if you've been on a college campus recently, you've you've probably seen them as well. And he says, if you're, you know, walking alone at night and you're in danger, you can pick up a phone at this blue light and help will arrive within five minutes. And Connor's just thinking to herself, like, five minutes is way too long um, for help to come because she's remembering what happened to her and that if she had had a way to call for help, uh, five minutes would not have saved her from the experience that she had. Um, so she had never talked to her kids about the fact that she was raped. She didn't really tell anyone about it. Her husband knew, and that was it, um, and some coworkers around the time that it first occurred. But at this point, with her daughter getting ready to leave for college, she kind of thinks that she's dealt with it. Um, and then this college visit and hearing the story about the blue lights brings it back up for her, and she thinks, I have to tell my daughter about what happened to me. Um, So she tells her daughter, she also tells her son, and this launches her uh, on a search to find the man, to find out what happened to him after he went to prison, and to try to understand who he was and what might have led to him becoming a rapist. Um, She learns very quickly that he died in prison. So she then searches for his family. And what she learns by going deep into his family's history is perhaps much more insightful for her ultimately trying to understand who he was than if she had just found him and been able to interview him. Um, The family all tell her that um, they suffered a great deal of abuse under their father. Uh, The rapist had many siblings and all of them had some kind of problem. Many of them had a drug abuse problem. Um, They had a history of violence and she starts to understand her rapist as not just a pure evil monster as she had wanted to think of him before, but as a person who was a product of his environment uh, and of larger systems. Uh, He was a black man from a very poor neighborhood in Cleveland, one of the poorest neighborhoods in the country. And so she also sort of sideways comes into talking about uh, the prison system, institutionalized racism, the mass incarceration of black men that was happening in the 80s as a result of the war on drugs and systemic violence. And it's not a, you know, find out why this guy did this thing to me so that I can be mad at him or so that I can ultimately forgive him kind of narrative. Um, She really just wants to try to see who he was so that she can understand what he and what the rape did to her. Um, and finally, after you know nearly three decades, come to terms with it. Um, she was still a newspaper reporter at the time that she began this search. So she had started writing about it for the paper that she worked for. And then ultimately, it became this book. Um, it's so compelling and so raw. And um, all the trigger warnings apply. Um, it's She's very direct about the experience, about all of the things that he did to her and what she felt and what she thought as it was occurring. Um, but the process that she goes through of finding his family and talking, how she gets them to talk to her, what she reveals and doesn't reveal, and what they tell her that help her understand and have an idea of who this person was. It's all, you know, it's very complicated. This is not, a, it's not a black and white story about just a bad person who did a bad thing. And she really tries to understand the nuance there. It's um, very compelling. And if you're thinking about, um, and she talks about the experience of being a victim and worrying about people believing her or worrying that she was being rude if she, you know, said or did certain things after the fact, there's some really interesting and subtle stuff to the way that she explores it. Um, So again, it's called I Will Find You by Joanna Connors. Oh, goodness. Yeah, not an easy read. Yeah. Do you want to break it up with the next sponsor? Before I talk about my not easy read. 
<laughs> yeah, let's talk about our sponsor this week. Um, Open Road Media is sponsoring us this week, and they are reintroducing the world to the novels of an English writer named Marjorie Sharp. Um, she was best known as the author of the children's book, The Rescuers, which was made into a famous Disney movie and one that was definitely a hallmark of my childhood. Um, but it's her novels for adults where her talents shine even brighter. Sharp was born in 1905. She wrote witty comedies of manners that are set primarily in Britain during the post-World War I era, and she writes unconventional heroines, social commentary, and insights into human nature that make her an heir to Jane Austen. So pay attention, Jane Austen fans. Um, while the majority of Marjorie Sharp's novels have been out of print for some time, her writing has still inspired a really dedicated fan base online, and there's even one literary blogger who hosts an annual Marjorie Sharp Day every year on her birthday to encourage other readers and bloggers to check out her work. Um, the uh, books that Open Road Media is bringing out are ebook editions, and this is what Open Road specializes in. They find uh, authors and books that are uh, mainly out of print, and they bring them back to availability by producing them as ebooks. So, to introduce Book Riot's listeners and all the, the folks here for all the books to Marjorie Sharp, Open Road is giving away a free ebook download of The Nutmeg Tree, which is a charming comic novel that follows a character named Julia. She is an eccentric, flighty actress who reunites with her. Her very proper daughter after leaving her in the care of her in-laws 16 years prior. When readers first meet Julia, she's singing loudly in the bathtub while holding off the men outside her door who are visiting to collect a debt. From there, you'll fall in love with Julia and her hilarious antics as she tries to become a proper mother once and for all. We'll have a link in the show notes so you can snag your free download. Again, Marjorie Sharp will appeal to fans of Jane Austen. It's a natural place for you to go if you're looking to fill the Downton Abbey void that's in your heart. Uh, the novels take place right before World War II, which is where Downton Abbey leaves off. So if you're into Jane Austen, Downton Abbey, this is definitely going to be your bag. Open Road is releasing 10 of Marjorie Sharp's novels on April 12th. And again, you can get more information about the dedicated online fan base. But check out the link in our show notes, which you can find at bookriot.com slash listen to get your free download of The Nutmeg Tree by Marjorie Sharp. And then you can find out more about the other titles that Open Road is bringing out as well. That sounds fun. This sounds like a very you project, Lib, like to dig back into an author who uh, it has ties to other big classic authors that we love, but who's not very well known. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. Cool. Okay. And now me... back to our downers. <laughs> right. I'm not sure this is a five Kleenex day. It's <laughs> just like a um, turn all of the lights off and rock in the corner kind of show. Yeah. I'm actually doing that right now as I'm recording this. <laughs> um. I would be too if it were 30 degrees and snowing. <laughs> My next book is called The Long Shadow of Small Ghosts, Murder and Memory in an American City by Laura Tillman. Um, it's very similar to the book that you just spoke about in that it's this very serious investigative piece um, that takes place in one of the poorest cities in the country. Uh, Tillman is a journalist in Brownsville, Texas, and like I said, one of the poorest cities in the country. Um, she was assigned to cover the demolition of a building in a nearby neighborhood. Um, the community sort of felt that this building should be torn down. Uh, and it turns out that that building in 2003 was the scene of a really horrific crime in which John Allen Rubio and his girlfriend murdered their three small children. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. This is a tough book. It's, it's just going to get tougher. Um, a lot of people in the community uh, wanted the building torn down. Um, they said, you know, it was haunted, that it had bad juju, that it was, you know, just 
just scary and horrible. It, it had housed, you know, people, um, some of the poorest people in the city. Like, there was no electricity and some days, and, and it was just disgusting and horrible, and people were squatting in it. Um, but other people wanted it to stay. Uh, they said that the community could not be defined by the crime that took place there. They wanted to, you know, sort of build it up. They had started a neighborhood garden. And so Tillman goes and she talks to the people that, that lived around there. And again, like some of them talk about like how they think that they've seen the ghosts of the children and other people say it's all, you know, nonsense and, and they just think it's ugly and they want it torn down. Um, and that leads to her investigating uh, John Ellen Rubio himself. And she learns that he was from a very, very poor family. Um, he was learning disabled. He took a lot of drugs mm. and... He, you know, committed this horrific crime. Um, he thought the children were possessed by the demon, um, and th- and that was that was his reasoning for what he did. Um, and she begins to exchange letters with him, and, and he talks about this. And now this is not like this book is not looking to, to excuse his crime. It's not like she's like you know oh you know this poor guy, you know he shouldn't he has been sentenced to death. He is on death row in Texas. Um, she's just she's very matter of fact about these different aspects of it. Um, she looks into religion and the law, like. Like, how do you claim demonic possession, like, in court? You know, like, you mm. can't. Like, you, you can't prove it. You know, it's not, you know, it's not something that holds up. Um, she looks into the death penalty and, like, the the various stages of it in the country now. Like, where it was when he was sentenced as to oppose, like, where it is now. And she looks into superstition and, like, how a lot of the neighborhood feels, you know, like I was saying, like, they, they're very superstitious and they think that there are, that's like bad stuff going on there now and, and the building needs to go. Um, she looks into the poverty and drugs that, you know, are very prevalent in the neighborhood. Um, it's very horrific and hard to read, like, as you can imagine. There's even a chapter, the chapter about the actual crimes themselves is called Don't Read This Chapter Before Going to Bed. Oh. Um, but it can be completely transfixed, like, it, as a piece of investigative journalism, it is very, I feel it's very close to a masterpiece. I mean, she's an amazing writer. Um, she touched on all these really interesting things. She, you know, she made it very personal. She talks about, like, when she went to investigate the building, like, how after she walked into the crime scene, like, she threw her shoes out. Like, she just, she couldn't keep them. Um, and I just, I think it's fantastic. It also got me thinking a lot about how people choose to spend their time. Like, oh, you mentioned that on, I think it was on Litzy when you posted yeah. about it. And I was like, what does she mean by that? Well, like, some people spend their entire lives researching Shakespeare. Like, you've just spent your entire life, you know, involved in the life of someone else, you know. Or, mm-hmm. like, she spent, like, many years of her life looking into this horrific crime and writing about it, you know. And I just find it so interesting, like, how people, you know, choose to to do things with their time. Um, but, again, it's, you know, it's it's very hard, but I think it's completely worth the read. Um, and it's called The Long Shadow of Small Ghosts by Laura Tillman. Right. Speaking of investigative journalism and personal touches, uh, my next pick is The Red Parts by Maggie Nelson. Uh, this is a 10-year anniversary reprint from Grey Wolf Press. It originally came out in 2005. It's a, this is fascinating. Um, and you probably recognize Maggie Nelson's name because she is a wonderful essayist. Uh, she had The Argonauts out last year that I think is out in paperback today. Uh, that's worth taking a look at, especially if you're looking for an essay collection that might break your brain a little bit in a very pleasant way. Um, so The Red 
parts is about an, the experience that Nelson had uh, in late 2004. She was preparing to publish a book called Jane, a Murder. That was a book of poetry about her aunt's death. In 1969, her aunt Jane, uh, Nelson wasn't even born yet, but it's her mother's sister Jane, who was a college student at the time, was brutally murdered by a serial killer. And the case, though, was essentially unsolved. Uh, there was a person convicted for the crimes, but no one was like certain that he actually had done it. Uh, and then in late 2004, just as this book that Nelson had been researching feverishly for years to write poetry about was about to come out, her mother got a phone call from an investigator who was telling her that actually for the last five years, they had been back on the case of this Michigan murderer, serial killer who had killed many women. And uh, thanks to DNA evidence that had been held on to since 1969 and then recently analyzed, they had found a match um, and they had been observing the person that they were pretty certain was the killer and his arrest was imminent. And so they wanted the family to know that. They also wanted them to know that they couldn't say anything, that the man was still under surveillance and they didn't want them to get in, in the way of the investigation. So Nelson then has spent these years investigating her aunt's life and her death. And then it's sort of everything is reopened uh, just as the book inspired by it is about to come out. And so the red parts is about that experience. She mixes the investigative journalism with it's, it feels very true crime, but also memoir as she explores how her childhood and how the rest of her mother's life and her family life was shaped by what happened to her mother's sister. Uh, like her mom always claimed that it didn't really affect their family life at all. She didn't let it affect her children that she had a sister who was killed. But then Nelson remembers like that her mother had this rule where she couldn't go see a movie where anyone was going to kill a woman, especially if they were going to shoot her in the head or threaten her uh, with a gun to the head. And she was like, you know, try going to the movies in this day and age uh, and see how limited your choices are if that's a thing that occurs. And that's one example of how it affected their families life and how, you know, her mother was changed and then sort of passed on different ideas about things to the kids. Um, there are elements of dreams that she's had, fragments of the poetry that she wrote, information that they get from the investigators. There's very graphic information from when they attend the trial of the man that the investigators found to be the killer. Um, and they're showing pictures of the, the crime scene and Nelson is describing those. But it put together, it's this fascinating mix of like personal essay, memoir and true crime that's beautifully written and just so very carefully analyzed. You can imagine Nelson sitting in a quiet room by herself, really digging into her thoughts and feelings and trying to imagine her way into her, the rest of her family's experience of it. Um, I found it totally, as you said, transfixing. Like, that's an excellent word uh, for this. And I couldn't stop reading, but also I felt very haunted by it while I was reading it. And that's called The Red Parts by Maggie Nelson. I'm really glad uh, that it's back in print. I hope it will stay for a while. It's so good. It really I mean, is. She's amazing anyway. The parts with, with her grandfather, her aunt's yeah. father at the trial. I was just mm -hmm. like, oh my God. It's really hard. It's really heartbreaking. And Nelson talks about how difficult it is for her to do this thing. But so much strength of hers shows up on the page because you couldn't be a weak person and go through all of the things that she's talking about and encounter all that information and see your family in these moments and then be able to write about it in this way. Um, she, you know, I think underestimates herself there. It's a really remarkable piece of writing. And the whole thing with like, you know, most 
people's parents don't live to be that age, you know, and like right. his wife had passed away and he was glad that he's she like was in his nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I just, it was crushing and she was it's, incredible. It's really stunning. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> moving <laughs> on to on. my next downer. Wow. This is amazing. Like how we hit on all this. I think I it's, know, I I think it's very like, telling that there's like a list of like 500 books for us to choose from and we all, we, we all, you and I all <laughs> picked. I know. Well, I have like some bonkers fun books for next week, but yeah, yeah this, this week has a theme. All right. Uh, my next book is called Dodgers by Bill Beverly. It is a novel. Um, it's about an LA gang member named East. Um, his name is Easton, but they call him East. Uh, he's 15 years old. He's this pretty cool responsible kid in, as far as like gang members go um he's very level-headed um takes his job very seriously he heads up a crew that guards a crack house and they stay lookout and you know notif- they have walkie-talkies and they're supposed to notify anybody inside if the police are coming or something weird is going on but one day there is this big mess up um people don't get notified the police do arrive and in the end a young girl has been killed um, and the house is lost, like to you know the cops are there. Um, the house is owned by his uncle. Uh, he is East's father's brother. East never knew his father, so he's always looked up to his uncle. Um, and so his uncle wants to meet with him after this occurs, and he tells him that he is sending him to Wisconsin. Um, he wants to send him with some other teenage boys from the gang, including East's younger brother, who is thirteen, and he's a wild child. He's very quick to anger. Um, he wants to send them to kill a witness that can testify against him, against the uncle. Um, so East agrees. He sets out, um, never having left LA before. And he's on this car ride across the country that he's never seen before. Um, it's all completely foreign to him. And he's on his way to complete a terrible task that he's not even sure that he should do. Like he's, he's young, you know, does he want to do this? Um, but he wants to make his uncle proud and he doesn't want to lose face in front of the other boys. And so it's, you know, you go through the whole novel, like, is he going to or is he not? Um, the writing is amazing. I, I, the, I was just stunned by the writing. It reminded me a lot of Richard Price, if you've ever read him. Um, he oh, wrote yeah. mm-hmm. Clockers and The Whites, um, and he wrote for The Wire. It's very similar to that. It's just this really stark coming-of-age novel, um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, it's called Dodgers by Bill Beverly. All right. Before my next slightly downer book, you want to hit us with our next sponsor? I will do that. Our next sponsor is the is Lilac Girls by Martha Hall Kelly. And it is a powerful novel that uh, reveals an incredibly... I can't talk again. It's a powerful novel that reveals an incredible story of love, redemption, and terrible secrets that were hidden for decades. And this book is actually inspired by true events. Um, it is... There are three main characters. There's New York socialite Caroline Faraday. Uh, She has her hands full with her post at the French consulate and a new love on the horizon. But Caroline's world is forever changed when Hitler's army invades Poland in September 1939 and then sets its sights on France. An ocean away from Caroline, Kasia Kuzmarek, a Polish teenager, senses her carefree youth disappearing as she is drawn deeper into her role as courier for the underground resistance movement. In a tense atmosphere of watchful eyes and suspecting neighbors, one false move can have dire consequences. And for the ambitious young German doctor, Hertha Oberhauser, an ad for a government medical position seems her ticket out of a desolate life. Once hired, though, she finds herself trapped in a male-dominated realm of Nazi secrets and power. 
These lives of these three women are set on a collision course when the unthinkable happens and Kasia is sent to Ravensbrück, the notorious Nazi concentration camp for women. Their stories cross continents from New York to Paris, Germany, and Poland as Caroline and Cassia strive to bring justice to those whom history has forgotten. So, and uh, Jamie Ford, have you ever read Jamie Ford? He's oh, yeah, awesome. yeah. Hotel on the Corner of Bitter yep. and Sweet. Yep. He says that the Lilac Girls is the best book I've read all year. It will haunt you. Okay. It's kind of going like with the theme that, that we have. <laughs> That we have I know, going. we are yeah. staying on brand a little bit this week. Yeah, and Lisa C. says this is a part of history, women's history, that should never be forgotten. And so uh, we thank them for sponsoring the show today. Yeah, we'll have a link to Lilac Girls in the show notes also. Um, so it's parts of history that should not be forgotten. One of the things that I've been trying to do in my reading life is read more fiction and nonfiction about eras of history and major events that I didn't know about, but in, on the global scale that I would like to know more about. And this next book uh, rang that bell for me and was also just a, a wonderful read. It's called Country of Red Azaleas by Dominika Radulescu. Uh, it's about two girls, Maria and Lara, who meet when they're kids, uh, when Maria is placed in Lara's classroom after her family moves from Serbia into Sarajevo. And the, so the girls come from these two different communities. They are friends for decades. When they are young women, they share everything. They live together. They even share a lover for a while. Um, and then they are forced apart when the Bosnian War begins. Lara, who narrates the story, moves away. She marries a charming American journalist. Uh, he seems very worldly. He, you know, understands the pain of what's happening in her country. She's very impressed by him. Uh, he proposes. They move back to the States uh, and she starts over. Maria stays behind and becomes a journalist herself. Uh, and Lara narrates to us her life after the move, the distance that opens up between her and Maria, who's always on her mind. Uh, and then ultimately she stops hearing from Maria um, and feels this urgent drive to find out what has happened to her friend given the war that's happening back in Sarajevo. Um, so meanwhile, also, while she's doing that investigation of her own, Lara is really wrestling with her identity, with where she comes from. She's trying to make sense of all the things that she gave up by leaving Sarajevo and the things that she has supposedly gained by immigrating to the United States, sort of trying to reconcile who her husband really is against who she thought he was when she married him and what she imagined that their life would be like as they moved back to the States, moved to D.C., have this young life together and ultimately have a family. Um, you know, first person fiction often aims to read like memoir, but I think it rarely really achieves that. Um, but Dominika Radulescu's writing here is so artful and it's not at all affected. So it really feels like Lara is talking directly to the readers the way a human talks, not the way a writer writes, which is, I think, a real sign of skill for a writer and um, for something to come across that effortlessly. But I kept having to remind myself as I was reading that I was reading fiction, that I wasn't reading a memoir by a woman named Lara. Uh, it's really remarkable. And the first time that I've had that experience with uh, first person fiction in quite a while where it, it felt so real. Um, the writing is done so well for what a voice like that should be. I was really impressed. Um, so again, the book is Country of Red Azaleas. It's by Dominika Radulescu. My last book is one of those, I don't want to tell you too many things kind of books because I always have to have one of those. Um, it's called The Last Painting of Sarah DeVos by Dominic Smith. And it's a really interesting novel that is kind of based in fact. Um, it it's about a painter, a Dutch painter named Sarah DeVos, who is sort of a composite of several women painters of that time. 
Um, and it jumps back and forth between three times. There is Amsterdam 1631, uh, when Sarah is painting the painting called uh, At the Edge of a Wood. Um, women painters at this time were not al really allowed to paint landscapes. It was really amazing. Like some of the rules, like you had to be approved by this council to even like sign and date your paintings. Seriously? Like, back then. Yeah. And it's crazy. And so women are not supposed to paint landscapes. Um, but she does, she paints this really amazing outdoor scene. Um, and then it jumps to New York City, uh, 1957. This painting is now hanging in the bedroom of a descendant of the original owner. Um, and somehow, during a party, it gets switched out for a f uh, forged painting, um, which was painted by a struggling art history grad student. Um, <laughs> she needed the money. This, this art dealer approached her and asked her to do this job. And so she does. The painting gets switched out. Um, sort of kind of end of story, doesn't give much thought about it. And now, and it jumps to Sydney in the year 2000, um, the grad student, Ellie, is now, you know, uh, in her 60s, I believe, or 70s, and she is in charge of an art gallery. She's back living in, in Sydney, where she's from, um, and she's uh, mounting an, an exhibition of female painters of the Dutch Golden Age. And it turns out that... Um, she's going to be showing at the edge of a wood there, but she also gets another letter saying she's going to be showing at the edge of a wood there. And <laughs> all of a sudden she finds herself, uh, facing both paintings, the, both the original and the forgery arriving at the gallery at the same time. And there are some secrets behind why this is happening. And it's, you know, she doesn't know what to do. She's just waiting for the police to show up and be like, Hey, you know, you did this thing all these years ago and we're, we're going to charge you with it um she's you know worried about her career like falling apart when everyone finds out what happens um and like i said you know the the one of the owners of the paintings is on his way there to see her and she doesn't know who it is um it's just really fun and it's really interesting um and it's not dark like all the other <laughs> books that we talked about um and and it's it's fantastic i really enjoyed it so again it's called the last painting of sarah devos by dominic smith all right. My last one is actually one I haven't read yet, but it's been on my radar. I'm going to get to it soon. I've been hearing nothing but good things. It's called Asking For It by Louise O'Neill. Uh, this is a young adult novel. It's about Emma O'Donovan. She's an 18-year-old who lives in a small Irish town. Uh, she gets all dressed up one night, goes out with friends to a party, and the next morning her parents find her unconscious on the doorstep of their home. Uh, she can't remember what happened to her, but uh, because this is the world that we live in, someone has posted photos of it to Facebook um, the photos go viral and a criminal investigation is launched and then Emma's life and her community are turned upside down. Um, everything that I've heard is that this is just a really, uh, you know, sort of face forward uh, look at the experience of rape, uh, of rape culture and of what is happening with social media and the Internet uh, that ruins the lives of young women who are raped or of anyone who's raped, where they have the experience of being raped. And then uh, also the sort of second victimization of having that experience be made public and having to endure the public's uh, and their peers responses to it, which are often the opposite of sympathetic. Um, I'm really, you know, I, I can't say like looking forward to reading it because I can't imagine it's going to be an easy or enjoyable experience, but it seems to be an important book. Uh, it's been just going nuts uh, in praise, and I've seen a bunch of Book Riot contributors say that they thought it was uh, excellent and important as well. So I will be getting to it soon, and it is called Asking for It by Louise O'Neill. 
We made it to okay. the end of the show. <laughs> we did. We have done another episode. Yeah. I don't what know. Are you... Go ahead. No, no. Keep going. <laughs> I was just going to say, what are you going to read next? Okay. So this is going to sound crazy, but um, I have been binge watching The Office on Netflix. That's not crazy. That sounds like a good life choice. It is. And I was watching the episode where Michael tells Phyllis to go to the mall and ask Sue Grafton if she will come be <laughs> in their commercial because Sue Grafton is doing a reading at the mall. Uh-huh. And so, like, Phyllis, Phyllis loves her and goes and, and asks her. Um, and that got me thinking about the Kinsey Malone books, and I was like, I need to reread these. So I actually, like, started A is for Alibi again this morning because I was like, it's been so long. Because like, so- I can't believe that... I mean, I've been reading them. It came the first one came out in eighty two, and I've been reading them since I was a little kid. And like I was saying this on Litzy, like I can't believe that there are only two letters left. But on the other hand, I can't believe there are still two letters left. Like I think I X just came out recently, um, and and I just absolutely love these. Um, this this is the first series I read because I read these when I was young. Um, where uh, spoiler, the protagonist's love interest turned out to be the bad guy. Like, that was the first time mm. I had experienced that. Mostly because Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple were not getting it on with anybody, ever. Nope. Um, so, when I no was like, 10 books. or 11, you know, I read the one where that happened, and I was like, whoa! <laughs> so, um, I just, I adore them. I love them. I'm so excited. So you'll be done, like, later this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the way back up to X. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm going to read. Uh, this just came across my doorstep and it seems perfect timing. Political suicide, missteps, peccadillos, bad calls, backroom hijinks, sordid pasts, rotten breaks, and just plain dumb mistakes in the annals of American politics by Aaron McHugh. Uh, tell me that that does not sound like a thing that we should all be reading right it's, now. It sounds like it should just be called politics. <laughs> Yes, I will let you know. I think this is going to be one of those, like, hey, did you know this thing? Hey, did you know that thing? So it should be a fun read. And that's actually our show for the day. Uh, so thank you again to our sponsors. You can go to thirdlove.com books to start your free 30-day trial with the 24-7 t-shirt bra. Check out the link in the show notes, which you can find at bookriot.com slash all the books for the Marjorie Sharp uh, the nutmeg book. What is it called? The nutmeg tree, I believe. Uh, and all of the other open road books that are being uh, reissued by Marjorie Sharp or the other Marjorie Sharp books that are being reissued by Open Road and Lilac Girls. Again, show notes are at bookriot.com slash all the books. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty can be found at Miss Liberty. If you've got a minute, you want to rate or review the show on iTunes, we would super appreciate that. It helps other book lovers to find the show. And if you've got an idea for our one year anniversary we'd love to hear that maybe we'll just do a Q&A show like you can write in <gasps> with your burning questions that would be you wanna, fun you want to do that yeah as long as it doesn't cut in on my reading time okay well <laughs> we'll figure that out but if you I know nothing cuts in on your reading time you can't stop me <laughs> you'll just drink an extra Red Bull that night and stay up for an extra hour mm-hmm. or two. Uh, so if you've got questions for us uh, you can hit us up with those at all the books at bookriot.com and we'll plan that for one of our you know right around our first anniversary uh, and as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today uh, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. All right. So, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.